0: Thank you, Scott. Would you uh, bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Lord, first of all, we just want to acknowledge that um, we've gathered here to worship you, to hear your voice. And and we desire that now, but we also want to acknowledge, Father, that uh, there are many of our Brothers and sisters in Christ, many of our human family, especially on the East Coast who are in trouble and um, some are in crisis, some are in grief because of lost loved ones and Father, this hurricane that's um, coming through the east coast, Lord it's a a powerful um, awesome uh, spectacle, but it is so destructive. And we just pray, Lord, that your protective power, that your love and compassion would come upon those people and uh, people. Some of them we know uh, that are families and friends there. We just pray, Lord, that you would minister to them in this time of need. And the Lord, we we just want to tell you that today we want our ears, as as Scott said, we want our ears to be opened, our hearts to be open, our spirits to be open to your word today. The word of God would speak boldly and it would um, do its work among us in our hearts, our souls, our spirits. We pray, Father, that you would give us listening ears and an openness to your word that uh, perhaps is is supernatural. We just need that today, Father, and we we pray that you would uh, minister to us in that way. And I would pray, Lord, that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. Amen. Well, as we introduced last Sunday, um, this may be a little bit weird for some of you who are new today, but um, here's my goal for the next several weeks. I want to try and talk you out of being a follower of Christ. Uh, Now, I'm not going to do that with my words because I'm not very persuasive in that way, but. Uh, Through using Jesus words himself, I'm going to try and talk you out of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So uh, with that in mind, I'd like to uh, uh, open scriptures and in a a few minutes, we're going to open uh, the gospel of Matthew to chapter seven. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. But last week, we introduced the idea of this sermon series that reasons why we should not follow Jesus. And today I want to look at two of the most compelling accusations that was made against Jesus in his day, and and it remains uh, accusations against him today, and it's this. Uh, Number one, Jesus is just too exclusive. Come on, Jesus. Come on. There's room for everybody, right? What about Buddha and Confucius and all the guys, uh, Mohammed, all the good guys over the centuries that have started religions, Joseph Smith, all the great guys. Come on, don't be so exclusive. So that's one thing we're going to look at today. One reason that people just really don't like Jesus. And the other one is this. He's just too judgmental. He's just too judgmental. I mean, after all, uh, he says this and we're supposed to obey it and there's no questions asked. Come on, you've got to be a little bit softer. Than that. Now this will be from Jesus' words, so please don't shoot the messenger. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And and we find these teachings of Jesus, at least initially, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now Tina was going to read the Beatitudes uh, this morning. If she had have known she was supposed to, she would have been happy to. Uh, But I'd like you to do that at home. Read uh, uh, Matthew chapter five, verses one to twelve, and it kind of sets up this whole teaching of Jesus. And in the first couple of chapters, Jesus says, I want you to come into the kingdom of God. And he's speaking to all these people, religious people, non-religious people, gross sinners, all kinds of people from all over. And he's saying to them, I want you to come into the kingdom of God. And so that's what chapters five and six is about in Matthew. But then we come to chapter seven and he says, I want you to come into the kingdom of God. But if you choose to, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. It's not going to be just throwing up a prayer or saying, yeah, I'm in. It's much more complicated and more difficult than that. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says, whosoever will may come, and whosoever, I translate you soever. You can come into the kingdom of God, but, and there is a but, you have to come into the kingdom of God, Jesus says, on my terms. You have to be with me or against me. In or out, yes or no. In the water, baptism analogy, or out of the water, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses four contrasts. Really, they're four snapshots of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And when he shows these four pictures. He's saying to each and every one of us, you've got a decision to make. You've got to figure out whether or not you want to be in the kingdom or not. Because it's not easy. And it's not all rosebuds and beauty and puppies and all of that. It's difficult. It's hard. And you've got to make a decision whether you want to be. There's no gray. There's no riding the fence. Jesus said there's no middle ground. Choose. You and I today choose. Decide. Because these contrasts are Clearly, make no mistake asking you to choose an exclusive way. And the way that God judges is right. Not us, but God. He decides. It's exclusive, and He is the judge. Not our desire, or our sensibilities, or our political correctness, or our way of thinking. That's not the judgment, but it is God who judges. So, He decides, bottom line, who's in And who's out? I had, um, when I was uh, uh, in Denver, serving a church there, my son Nathan was uh, 12 years old, and um, they had a wonderful uh, system of Pop Warner football. It wasn't called Pop Warner, but it was like that. Until you got to high school, they had a very um, excellent uh, football program for for kids, age 8 through 13. And then when you go to high school, you're in the high school system. But I coached a 12- and 13-year-old team, a very good team, And it was fun coaching. And every year I would coach, we'd start with new kids and some of the kids from last year. And some of the new kids just weren't really into it. (laughs) And there's one boy, his name was Brett. First day of practice, I said, okay, boys, you've got your shells on, you've got your helmets on. I want you to take a lap. I want you to run uh, three laps, which would have been about a half a mile. And, okay, let's get going. So they take off and they're running. And uh, Brett comes up to me and says, "Uh, say, coach? I said, yeah, Brett, what is it? He said, I don't like to run. Well, you know me how soft and gentle I am. Uh, uh, well, Brett, let me, let me explain to you something, son. Um, uh, this isn't a, a, a request. Uh, this isn't, um, um, you know, kind of uh, an option for you. Uh, if you want to be part of this team, you run. Okay, mm-hmm. you took off like that. So, Next, we start doing some work. And uh, the kids, they're just in their shells, but they're doing some, some uh, blocking and tackling work and... And Brett comes up to me and says, Coach, kind of tugs on my shirt. He says, I don't like other kids to hit me. I said, Brett, this isn't tiddlywinks. This isn't, uh, you, know, you know, a tea party. Forgive me, honey. This, this, this is foot. It's called football. <laughs> it's called football. And in football, you hit each other and, and you enjoy it. At least I did when I was a kid. And, 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 it, and, it's, and every day, it was something else for Brett, you know. And finally, I, I said to his parents, I said, You know what? Brett really doesn't want to play football, and Dad said, "I know, I made him." You know, so you knew where that came from. I said, and so I said, "I, Brett, I love you. You're you're a great kid, but you know, you don't have to come to practice anymore. You don't have to be." I said, "Oh, I'm so glad." See, 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 for a football team, uh, you not everybody wants to be on a football team. You can choose. You can say, yes, I want to be on the team. And therefore, then you fall in line and you do what's expected of you. Or you can say, no, I don't want to be on the football team. And Jesus was basically saying the same thing. I'm not making anybody come into the kingdom of God. I will not make them come into the kingdom of God. But you're welcome. Whosoever, you soever, you are welcome to come into the But if you do, you're going to run some laps. <laughs> and you're going to get hit. And, and things are going to happen that aren't going to be comfortable. You've got to make a decision. Kingdom living, who's in, who's out. So let's walk through these four, what I believe are really colorful contrasts and decide for ourselves. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. and we will be looking at verses 13 through the end of the chapter. And the first contrast, now those of you here today that were in first service last week, you've heard a little bit of this. Because if you recall, last week I had a very short sermon. And in second service, the kids preached so long I had no sermon. Yeah I, know. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Actually, I did, because I loved hearing from the kids. But so you'll hear a little bit of a review. And, uh, and so the first contrast is this. The narrow gate or the wide gate? Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus said these words. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. The gate that allows you to enter the kingdom of God is narrow. It's not easy. It's difficult. Jesus basically is saying choose wisely. You're welcome, whosoever you soever, you are welcome to come into the kingdom, but it's not going to be easy, and it's not always going to be fun. Choose wisely. Now the opposite of the narrow gate is the wide gate, and now last week we talked about this a little bit, if the wide gate is for those who 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 want to keep their options open, for those who want to play both sides, you know, have one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world, for those who do not want to commit to any definable set of beliefs, for those who do not want to adhere to any absolute truths, that's the wide gate. Jesus said that, that's the way of the world. That's the way he calls it. That, that's the world where, where you, and you've heard us talk about this when we studied in First John, when you bow, when you bend a knee to the earth and you feed yourself from the earth, what the earth has to offer. And I'm not talking about the soil. I'm talking about the system of the world. Money, sex, and power. Control. One person over another person. That's the system of the world. If you bow to the earth and you feed on those things and you believe that that's what will make you satisfied and fill you and all of that, Jesus said that's the wide way. Everybody's doing that. It's no big deal. If you want to do that, you can go that way. But if you want to be in the kingdom of God, it's a narrow way. It's not easy. It's not quick and it's not painless. If you want to experience kingdom living, the way is narrow. Because Jesus said there's one way, there's one gate, there's one definable set of beliefs. This is not open for options. This is not open for a discussion. The kingdom is wide open to all, but there's only one access point, one entrance, and it's narrow. Now, this is consistent with all of the teaching of the New Testament. And let me just throw out a few verses. Uh, John 10:9. Jesus said, I am the door. He didn't say like the Baha'i faith, I'm, I'm one of a hundred doors, and they all lead to God. Isn't one? and we'll all get there, and there'll be a meadow, and there'll be sunshine. It'll be sweet, and we'll dance and frolic. No, no, there's not a hundred doors. There's one access point, and that's Jesus Christ. He says, "I am the door." And then in, in uh, John 14:6, you know this verse: "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me." Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no other options. One access point." And then in Acts 4:12. Uh, Luke was writing these words. There is salvation through no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Very exclusive. Very judgmental. This is the only way. It squares with the teaching of the New Testament. There's no ambiguity here. And then in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says it this way, confirming what both Luke and Jesus said. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Friends, the Bible could not be clear on this point. All roads do not lead to God. They do not. Again, don't shoot the messenger. This is Jesus' words. There's one road, one way, one gate. How do you feel about that message? It kind of flies in the face of Political correctness and tolerance. How do you feel about communicating that message uh, to your friends, to a Muslim neighbor, to a, a friend or a relative who believes, like the rest of the world, that, well, let's all get along. As long as you're sincere, we can all go to heaven? How does this message fly in the face of a permissive society and anything goes culture? How would that be received in your home or in your workplace? Because people want to believe there are many roads. They want lots of options, many ways, many gates. And they want them to be wide. But God's truth is this. God's kingdom is narrow. There's a narrow gate. It's time to choose, Jesus said. It's time to choose. But Jesus it's so restrictive. It's so exclusive. It's so judgmental. Well, I tell you this, but Jesus is just warming up. <laughs> Contrast number two, good fruit or bad fruit? Good fruit or bad fruit? Let me read that text, seven fifteen to 20. Watch out for false prophets. This is in the context of false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears Good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Basically, that's the question of this entire passage. Where do you get your information? From your own Brilliance, from Wikipedia, (laughs) from your parents, teacher, a preacher, a politician. Where do you get your information? What have you built your life upon in terms of information? This passage is about um, false teachers, but it's also about you and I. Good fruit, bad fruit. If you want to know who is allowed that one access point into the kingdom of God, Who is it that's bearing good fruit and who is it that's not bearing good fruit? That's the question of this text. Now, in every generation, people will stand before you and give a different message than Jesus. And quite honestly, a different message than Jesus usually sounds pretty good because a different message from Jesus says this. Come on. We're all sincere people. Let's, Let's go to heaven together. We can all get along. Yeah, but those poor people over in the darkest places of Africa or Borneo, they've never heard the gospel. So come on, they can be included too. Come on, everybody can be together and we can all get along. So that's a message we like to hear, right? But it's a different message than Jesus. That message is more palatable. It's easier to swallow. God loves everybody. Everybody's going to the same place. God loves you so much that He wants you on this planet to be healthy and wealthy and have 2.3 exceptional children with 4.0 grade point averages and straight teeth. That's God wants that for everybody, and it's just going to be just so wonderful. But that's not the truth of the word. False teachers, teachers that preachers that stand before you and proclaim things. Teachers you hear on the radio, teachers at school, people that have authority over you. In the late 1970s, Jim Jones talked to a thousand people, almost a thousand people, that he seduced and lied to, into drinking a cup of cyanide. Of course, they all died. Turns my blood cold every time I remember Jim Jones. People forget that he was went to seminary and was a Disciples of Christ pastor before he got off the rails. Good fruit or bad fruit. David Koresh, Waco, Texas. Marshall Applewhite, Heaven's Gate UFO cult, 38, committed suicide. In Japan not long ago, a false teacher released poisonous gas in the Japanese subways. And even uh, in Switzerland, a guy in Switzerland ten years ago uh, talked people into mass suicide because he had the way to heaven. Now, these are just those who made the headlines. There's a lot more. <laughs> Jesus says, beware of false teachers, those who have a seed of the truth. Well, how do we identify false teachers? It's not by going around and, you know, bugging my office or something like that or my telephones. I mean, you might do that if you want. I don't care. But, 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 but it's, it's about looking at somebody's life. It's not about being paranoid and saying, oh, you don't, have the wrong te- you don't have the right teaching. It's not that at all. But Jesus said this, be patient and watch the fruit of their lives. So your teachers, those who you have learned from, those who have spoken to you what they have said is the truth, watch their lives. Watch their lives. In Hebrews thirteen seven, it talks about the leaders in the church. That means the pastors, staff, and elders. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life and, and imitate it. I take that verse very seriously because when I stand up here and preach to you, I am telling you that you can observe my life. You can consider my life and you can look at the way I live. And it's okay because by your fruit, you will know them. The teachers in your lives, ask a few questions. Are lost people being found through their teaching? Are lonely people being enfolded into the family of God? Are confused people getting answers? Are under-resourced people getting help? Fruit over a long period of time is what this text is calling about. Being conformed to the image of Christ. When a person comes to you and there's that love and gentleness, but they're pointing always to Jesus, not pointing to themselves, always pointing to Jesus, that's a person who bears good fruit. But let me ask another question. and that's The text asks, asks this as well. What kind of fruit is your life turning out? Those who are in the kingdom of God, their lives bear good fruit. Now, Jesus didn't say, oh, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of... Fudge on that one. I'll hedge on that one. Uh, if you don't bear good fruit, it's okay. That's not what he said at all. What does your life produce? Good fruit or bad fruit? Jesus continues. Contrast number three. Religion or relationship? Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. Please hear this word, these words of Jesus. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to the religious people. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking to the people that go to church every Sunday. They put their tithe in the offering plate, they go to Bible studies, and all he was talking to those people. he says, "It's not those who just say, "Lord, Lord," but those who do the will of God." This is a, a, an immensely troubling text. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah said it this way. He said, "People go around saying, "The Temple of the Lord, the Temple of the Lord, but their hearts are far from me. It's not so much what comes out of your mouth, but what, com- what comes out of your life. That's why the fruit matters. I know a lot of people, and I've done this myself when I've been in a, in a bad place spiritually. I know a lot of people who do an impressive amount of Christian activity. Impressive amount of Christian activity. But when the day of the Lord comes, Jesus will look at them and say, Yeah, I saw all the things you did. I saw how religious you were. I saw that you did this, this, that. And he said, but, but I never knew you, I never knew you personally. I never knew you. You never accepted me and received me as your Lord and Savior. I never knew you. All throughout history, there's been some percentage of people, God is the judge of that, who profess Christ and yet are self-deceived. Yes, somebody, last Sunday, we heard these kids' testimonies. And sometimes when we do a Youth Sunday, not in any church I've been in, including this one, sometimes you'll hear kids say, you know... I've been going to church all my life and I went to camp and it was cool and we played some games and that, that's all good stuff. And 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 I, you know, I ate a big Sunday and, and I came home and I, I felt warm and fuzzy. And you hear those stories, you say, Well, you know, that's that's really nice. But you know what these kids said last week? They said, I came to know Jesus. I invited Jesus into my life. It's one thing between doing religious activities. And there's another thing that's called a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, can't we do that another way? No, there's only one access point. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Big difference between religion and relationship. Religion is is man crawling up towards God by doing good things. Relationship is God coming down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and saying, I want to save you from your sins. I want to be your Lord and Savior. Big difference between religion and relationship. We were at uh, Friday night. Sherry and I were at the d game. And it was a faith and family night. We didn't even know it. We just showed up and they had a Christian concert afterwards. Uh, Toby Mac, who was a, uh, a kind of a hip-hop Christian artist. You know, boy, I, I enjoyed that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we didn't know that's another thing. But the kids loved it, right? So the kids loved it. Just like, uh, you know, we love our own music. But, so so we were there, and uh, after uh, the fireworks show, they uh, brought up, the chaplain of the D-backs brought up two men to share their testimony. Uh, Ian Kennedy, who's one of the best pitchers in the National League, and Micah Owings, and two guys from the team. And um, now I've, I've seen, I've been to a lot of uh, prayer breakfasts and places where you trot out a, a famous athlete, and they're going to give their testimony, and their testimony is just something like this. Um, I've been going to church all my life, and I love God, and I thank, you. I thank him that he gave me $20 million. And, you know, that's the kind of testimony you hear. I go, oh, please. I don't want to hear that. But Ian Kennedy and Micah Owings get up there, and they say, let me tell you when I found Jesus and how it changed my life. Let me tell you what happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. And all these teenagers, there's thousands of teenagers there because of the concert later. And, and then thousands of teenagers in the Sherry night. And, and and, 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 but that testimony, I said, now that, that man knows Jesus. He doesn't know religion. He knows Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus was talking about. I went to, um, well, about a year ago, I did a funeral. Someone in our church knew somebody that didn't have a pastor and would I do it? And I'm always willing to do those things. If, by the way, if you ever have a situation like that, I'm always, if my schedule allows, I'm willing to do that because it gives me an opportunity to bear witness to Christ, to people who aren't Christians. And so we did this, this funeral and I always do a tribute time where you say, you know, stand up and tell us what you think about this, this man. And uh, his name was John. And, and uh, John, of course, uh, didn't know anything about God or care less about God, but everybody kept saying, well, he's in a better place. And I'm thankful that he's in heaven. And, uh, and then I had the testimony time. And one woman stood up and said, I, I knew John way back when he was a young man. And I was his, his one true love, you know. And, you know, it's weird that somebody that hasn't seen him for 20 years says that. I was his one true love. And then another woman stood up and said, well, I, I knew John back then. And I was his one true love. And then a third woman stood up and said, well, I was with him when he was sick, and I was his true love. And this funeral was turning into a really bad, I thought there was going to be a riot, you know, a cat, you know, cat fight, you know, who loved John the most? Well, here's, here's the bottom line that I took out of this. Nobody loved God. Well, they loved John. And John obviously loved lots of women, you know, you know, but who loved God? No mention of Jesus. No mention of but all. But yes, all, you know, because we all want to get along, and there's a thousand ways to get to heaven. And John's, gonna, you know what? Unless God intervened at the last moment, I hate to even say this, but John's not in heaven. He didn't know Jesus. Now t- contrast that to a couple of weeks ago, we had two funerals in our church, uh, two days apart, uh, two of our dearly beloved people, uh, Gordon Keen and, and Donna Tafe. And both of those services, when we, had the, when we had the testimony time, it was so precious. Was, Donna knew Jesus. And those of you that knew her knew that. And Donna loved Jesus. And Gordon, knew, he prayed every day and he loved Jesus. And he, it wasn't about, oh, he was good enough to make, make the cut. He was good enough to get into heaven and none of that stuff. He knew Jesus. The issue is not religious activity. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like Jesus would say this to you and I today. You gave me your hands. You gave me your lips. But you never gave me your heart. Jesus doesn't like religion. Religion is man trying to climb a stairway to heaven. The Beatles had it all wrong. Rolling Stone, had it all wrong. There's no stairway to heaven. There's only one access point. That's through Jesus Christ. Paul said, I want to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. It's about your heart. It's about openly admitting the sin in your life. Opening your heart to the Lord Jesus. It's surrendering control of your life to Him. Not just when you're in trouble, not when you're in a foxhole, but when you're saying, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Now, I believe, even as the Spirit is is moving among us, I believe that something is stirring in some of your hearts today. Maybe there may be a point of decision coming for some of you today because Jesus' words were so clear and so plain. It's a narrow gate. It's not wide. It's good fruit, not bad fruit. It's relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. I just want to tell you in a few minutes, you can settle that today. You can settle that today. You can open your heart to Jesus today. One last contrast. And it's this. Do you build your house on a rock or on the sand? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The man that built his house on the sand. Pretty smart guy. I mean, the house looked every bit as good as the house built on the rock. Probably nicer because he had more resources to make it look nicer. Probably turned to greater profit. He probably flipped the house in our economy just like that. Because it looked so good. But when the storms came, when the wind came, it wouldn't stand up. The other man built his house on a rock. It took him longer to build it. It was more expensive to build it. He couldn't flip it quite as fast because there was a the higher mortgage on it. But when the storms came along, nothing moved it. Here's what Jesus is saying. You decide. You pick. Are you going to build your life on the dust of the earth? Money, sex, and power. Control. Make sure that one person knows the other person. That's the world's view. Are you going to build your life on that? Are you going to build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ where there is love and forgiveness and grace and eternal life? It's your choice. Not a lot of roads that lead there. Only one. Only one access point. That's Jesus. Not easy. World, because you're going the opposite direction of the world, it's going to feel ill-fitting. It's going to feel wrong. But it's your choice. Rock solid or sand? The narrow gate, the wide gate, good fruit, bad fruit, religion or relationship, solid rock or sinking sand. It's your choice. Exclusive? Sorry to tell you this, but absolutely. Judgmental? He is the judge. Jesus is saying, yes, the way is narrow, but please hear this. I provided a way. It may not be a thousand ways, but I provided a way. But I wish it was so much easier. I know, I know, but I provided a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Would you bow your heads with me, please?